Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Tonight, straight from the source, Maui still burning and the death toll is climbing as the second deadliest U.S. wildfire in a century incinerates paradise. This hour, the governor will deliver a new update and will bring it to you live. Plus, yet another not guilty plea from Donald Trump in one federal case as the special counsel is asking for an aggressive trial date in the other. Trump also not happy with the date that they are seeking. What are friends for, by the way? A new expose on Justice Clarence Thomas has ignited a new uproar as the list of lavish gifts from billionaires grows an entire 737 just for him. I'm Caitlin Collins, and this is The Source. Tonight, we're waiting to get a new update from the governor of Hawaii and the mayor of Maui, a news conference that we should notice set for this hour's as fires continue to devastate the island. The death toll has now climbed to 53 people, and officials are warning that that number could only get even higher. President Biden issued a disaster declaration to unlock federal resources and address the catastrophe while on the road today. Our prayers with the people of Hawaii, but not just our prayers. Every asset we have will be available to them. They're gonna need it. The historic town of Lahaina has been left in ashes. The fires are now reported to be about 80% contained as winds are dying down, but the scenes that are left behind are absolutely devastating. People are comparing it to a war zone. Look at this before and after image. You see that large building there on the right? That's the Lahaina Shores Beach Resort. It's still standing tonight, but it doesn't look like anything else around it is. Here's another before and after. That's an elementary school with a green-roofed building in the left picture. It's above the marina inlet. You see that beautiful blue water nearby. On the right, that's the after photo, a total hellscape. The full scope of the devastation likely won't be known for several days. We do know military personnel from the Coast Guard are helping with the search and rescue missions that are happening that are underway in Hawaii tonight. Today, the Pentagon announced that more than 100 National Guardsmen have been activated to help with those response efforts. And joining me now is Jeff Hickman, the Public Affairs Director for Hawaii's Department of Defense. And Jeff, I'm so grateful you're joining me tonight. I know the Hawaii National Guard is conducting these search and rescue efforts. They're going basically from house to house, from our understanding. I mean, what are they seeing? Can you just can you just kind of describe the devastation for us? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Mahalo. No, it, it is it is a practical war zone, and the, the governor, that's what he said today. Uh, for him, it's a war zone. Uh, I've seen war zones in Afghanistan and Iraq, and it is. Everything is completely wiped out. You know, that used to be the capital of Hawaii during the whaling times in Hawaii, and it was a bustling town, and some of those buildings were still there, all made out of wood, and that whole waterfront is, is gone. So a lot of history. The world's oldest our biggest banyan tree gone. That school you mentioned, you know, my mom taught there. There's people who have a lot of connections to that area and a lot of things they're going to have to rely on now are, are just memories. What's it like to see the, the school that your mom taught at in the, in the condition that it is after that fire? 
uh, it's 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 unbelievable. And you know, you had to wait until the sun came up to see it. And thank goodness the winds died down. Um, the fires are still smoldering in the town, but uh, to see it just flat and and completely gone. I mean, all of those buildings, I used to run in between it when I, I was small and she taught there. Um, I just spent an, an anniversary there with my wife and family driving down Front Street. Um, it's 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 going to have a long lasting effect for that community. Yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine. And before you can even think about the recovery, the rebuilding efforts, I mean, this, the search and rescue missions that are underway right now, you know, we talked about those being conducted by the National Guard. I mean, how, how does that even work? How are they going through this? They're, they're the only people's, people allowed in these areas. I should know, what are they seeing so far? Yeah, you know, we're assisting the Maui Police Department and Fire Department, other first responders. We have 30 soldiers and airmen from the Hawaii National Guard assisting with that mission. We have another 30 assisting the police with the checkpoints, just guarding the area to keep people out. Uh, the public is is not allowed in there yet. And it is, it's going to take uh, months for the process to begin uh, recovery. You know, we've got to go in first, building the building, house to house, block by block, and look for bodies. Um, we have a wide search rescue team that that's their specialty. Uh, FEMA, um, and with the federal government's help, they're sending people as well. A lot of the emergency support functions coming down. We're going to have to actually bring in counselors and chaplains to assist with our soldiers and airmen who see what they see. And I'm sure the, the police and fire are going to need it too. Yeah. But they're going to first go through, try to find as many um, bodies and loved ones, missing personnel as they can. Then next is a little bit of cleanup. Then it's allowing the business and uh, homeowners to go in and grab their effects. So the public's not going to be in allowed in for a long time. And it's going to be a very long process before they can rebuild. Yeah, we know the FEMA administrator has just arrived in Hawaii tonight, Deanne Criswell as well. But when it comes to, to what they're looking for, do you know how many people are still missing at this hour? Uh, un- unconfirmed reports, but we've heard up a- up to a thousand. And you know, and just living here in Hawaii, everybody knows somebody on that island. And so the connections on Facebook, you see it is they're posting pictures. You know, has anybody seen my uncle? Has anybody seen my family? Has anybody seen you know people posting pictures of their dogs that they had to leave so fast? They left their dogs in the house, and they don't know if their dogs are still alive or if their house is still up. So. Yeah, the, the number is, is very high. Like you said, the death count officially is on 53 right now. Uh, I'm sure it's going to go up. But uh, the the families and the people who, who are missing someone and what they're going through on top of losing everything, it, it's, it's, you know, you can't put it into words. I mean, just to hear you say that a thousand people you believe are still missing tonight is astonishing. Yeah, it's a very, very high number. There's there's lists that people are sharing. There's uh, um, a lot of Red Cross is really helping out. You know, the state is actually stepping up and showing its aloha. They're giving so many blankets, food, and items that Maui um, and the, the state is saying, hey, slow down on the, on the items. People are giving so much because they want to help in some way. So we're trying to steer a lot of people into to giving money. And so word is getting out on the best way to donate and the best way that you can help. We've had people from from the mainland U.S. calling, hey, do you need doctors? Do you need help? Um, we'll help. And, you know, people are just reaching out, and it's great to see at this time. Yeah, we're, we're going to speak to a doctor who is helping out on the ground in just a few moments. But you, know, you talked about these search and rescue missions. Is the, these National Guardsmen and the, the police officers are going through and trying to find people, but potentially also recovering bodies. I mean, what's the biggest challenge with, with an effort like that, given 
that that so many of these neighborhoods are just incinerated, that roads are blocked, that there's ash everywhere. I, I think the, one of the biggest challenges is that, you know, the whole the National Guard is a community based organization. They're made up of people from that community. Um, I heard somebody else say it today on the radio. You know, imagine, you know, going to the neighborhood and going to houses, you know, and finding somebody or even a neighbor, you know, someone you knew of. But I, I would say that would be the hardest part is being from that community and then going in there and, and just having to do your duty, uh, assist those first responders and everybody else to try to get back to, you know, a, st- a sense of, uh, you know, recovery and the build back. So to me, the hardest part is the being from there and knowing what used to be there and what's there now. And how you grew up there. How long have you lived there? Uh, I lived there my all the way up until high school. So uh, I grew up in Kihei and there was a fire on the uh, near Kihei on that side of the island too. There are three on Maui. Um, that one didn't affect the urban area nearly as much as Lahaina, but we everybody went to Lahaina. Lahaina was the great resort town. Uh, they had the, the best Halloween that was on right there on Front Street. Um, everybody goes there for the, the fishing. Uh, the water is beautiful. The beaches are gorgeous. Uh, tourists flock there because the water is just amazing. And it, it, is a, it was a neat town. And I'm sure it's going to build back and be stronger than ever, but it's going to be a while before that happens. And I know we're, we're speaking to you in your official capacity, but I mean, this is just so clearly personal for me. I mean, did you ever, have you ever seen anything like this? Being in the National Guard, we, we share a lot of stories with other National Guardsmen from other states and the California National Guard and what they had to do with the Paradise Fire and some of those other fires, you know, in the last decade and hearing their stories of what they had to do, seeing their pictures because we're all in public affairs. So we see the photos and the video and uh, it looks just like that. And we never thought that that would happen here. You know, you're talking a town that got enveloped. There were some 80 mile per hour gusts and it happened at night from a hurricane that didn't even hit Hawaii. You know, it was the, a whole bunch of things aligned the wrong way. And it just it surprised everyone. Um, but no, we never thought that it could happen. And I've never seen anything like this. And what are you hearing about how busy hospitals are? I mean, have you heard anything about about the number of injuries and what that looks like from that perspective? Uh, yeah, I, I, I heard there was about 30 burn victims. There was uh, three that are in critical. Um, I think those guys have been um, evacuated to Oahu for uh, follow-on, more uh, serious service. Um, I heard there was a, a firefighter who is in stable condition, so he's doing okay. And um, that's just so far, you know, there's still people on that side of the island, they're doing bus evacuations. So the visitors, they're taking them to the Kahului airport and they're either flying home or they're flying to Oahu to stay in the convention center, which was set up. Um, Or they're, if they're a resident, then they're being taken to a shelter. And one of the big concerns that we have now is, you know, the amount of resources we have for the island. So we're trying to get the visitors out that can go out and can go home and then take care of the residents that are there and, and uh, preserve what we got. But right now we're, we're busing people out slowly. You know, there are still roads that are closed. There are still buildings and, and uh, other fires that are brush fires are, are, like you said, they're more contained than they were yesterday. Uh, we have two Chinook helicopters from the Hawaii National Guard assisting with fire suppression. And they told us yesterday they could see a difference. So, uh, yeah, a lot of things are, are changing and they're going to start moving in a different direction. But, uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's just amazing. You know, this is something we've never seen and never expected. I mean, I just I can hear it in your voice that you're just 
how, how surprised you are by this and what you're what you're being forced to deal with you, not just you and your neighbors as well. It, it it's a it's a little bit of comfort knowing that whatever I'm going through the long hours I'm doing to, to get messaging out like this, you know, coming on your show and getting to uh, share the message of what our great first responders and National Guardsmen are doing. But, you know, you get to hear the stories. And so, you know, it's an honor for us to do that. But just imagine the people who lost their homes, their businesses, pets, friends, and what they're going through, nothing. So if we got to work hard to do it, we will. Yeah. And of course, those estimated 1,000 people that are still missing tonight. Jeff Hickman, I know that there's a lot going on right now. We thank you for your time tonight and for joining us. Thank you very much, Caitlin. Mahalo. I want to bring in Dr. Reza Dinesh, a private doctor on Maui. He founded MODO, which is a nonprofit that provides free health care. And doctor, I know that a lot has been going on for people who are in your profession, have your skills. We just heard uh, from Jeff, who was talking about the hospitals and they are dealing with burn victims. What are you seeing on the ground? Um, so first of all, thanks for having me. Um, and you're absolutely correct. A company that I started and, and we did a nonprofit called Motor for the People. And we just got accredited with a 501c in June. It couldn't happen at a better time. Um, I've been in the yard doctor on island fighting COVID and doing house calls as a concierge doc. And I've had these mobile units out here. And I realized on um, Wednesday morning, which was yesterday, I knew the fires were happening. Everyone got the warnings. Um, my clinic is in Wailea, which is on the south side of the island. Um, we didn't know what was happening in Lahaina at all. Um, nobody had text messages or images or anything like that. Once the paramedics kind of got there and we know each other, they kind of text us, hey, docs, there's bodies on the ground a lot and they're around. And I realized this was serious. So I kind of decided to just open up my clinic, make it free for anyone that needed it called in extra staff and I, you know, rounded up people in my mobile unit that I'm actually sitting in and headed out to the field just to help. I went to the shelter. They, they set up at War Memorial and then I went to Maui High. Everybody just gave me food and, and water and, and supplies that, you know, they thought I would need for Lahaina, which was a good call. I had my own medical stuff and I hit the ground running and called the mayor. And luckily they allowed us to get through that roadblock. And uh, we went, went through another road and which was very scary at the, at the time because I didn't realize what I was walking into and how devastated the, the road and the damages were. Trees were on the ground, huge concrete blocks were pulled out. There were, um, it was it was basically like, it reminded me a little bit of COVID and the pandemic, like how you see images in New York, it was like a ghost town. But being there just while it was still fresh and hot, like an atomic bomb had gone off, I still could smell the stuff. I could still feel the heat. I could see small flames. I could see trees burning. And then as we rolled through my big red van, um, I'll show you guys on the tour in a minute if we have time, it, people came out of the woodwork like survivors. And I realized, wow, um, have we done a sweep through in this area or not? We had another shelter on the west side, but like, how are people going to get there? The shelter is a couple miles away. And a guy came up to me like, hey, I'm here to help. He's like, food. I'm like, what? He's like, I haven't eaten in two days. Oh, my goodness. And I'm like, yeah, thank God I have some. So I did a lot of basic stuff providing water and food. And then I started capturing some patients that had eye injuries respiratory issues, uh, people just kind of in shock and denial. Some people refusing to go with me. They want to sit where they were. They're looking for their dogs. It, it was like very traumatic I for mean, me. And I'm in Yardock and I trained it, in UCLA and LA and I've seen a lot of trauma. And but to be there on the ground level, you know, it, it was, you know, I've seen earthquakes in LA. I've seen floods uh, out in Hawaii from rains, but this was something nobody expected. I, I don't think anyone knew how 
severe was. And I was the first medical team and the only one that is on foot. The yeah. Red Cross is set up in shelters. You actually, I'm, I'm right. You actually ended up helping a woman. You know, I think one of the most devastating things that we heard about this was people were literally jumping into the water because it was the only safe place yeah. for them. And you actually helped a woman who had, had to do just that, just to escape from the fires. Yeah, so I kindly was, you know, it's just like bedside manner. You ask someone, hey, how did you get hurt? How are you? Where are you from? And I was dealing with her stress and, and cuts and wounds and respiratory issues. And, and I asked her, like, so, and I hate to be nosy and ask, but I was like, so what was it like, you know? And, and she's like, well, I just looked out the window and I saw the fire and we kind of got a small warning, but not enough. And you can't predict that. And I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus by, by saying they didn't get enough warning. But it's just like, how can you predict this? She said she saw the flames coming. She grabbed what she could, left her bird to burn, left her other pets. And I don't know how she was holding it together, talking to me. And she just started running to the ocean. So I'm re-envisioning the scene of like sunset time, running to the ocean for your life, jumping in the water. And then she was, people got on rafts, surfboards and paddled out. She's like, I don't even know if the Coast Guard found those people. Like there's people out at sea for all I know. And she's telling me her friend who had a lot of respiratory issues and had some smoke inhalation hung on. She hung on for seven hours before things cooled off and they swam back to shore to walk or recuperate. And she goes, my mm-hmm. friend died. And I'm like, wait, so your friend was in the water holding on next to you and she died? And I'm sorry, having flashbacks to like the Titanic and thinking of that movie scene. I'm like, you can't make this stuff up. Like, this is real. Yeah, and, just, and my it's... heart goes out to her. And, and I just said, can I just record this video? And I became kind of a newscaster after I treated her. And, and that's how a lot of people saw that, but she wasn't the only one. We had another guy propel three stories down with a rope he had. I'm like, were you in the military? He's like, no, I just always had this rope. I used to be a climber, but it saved my life. He said mm. he felt the walls so hot, he knew not to open his front door. So he, he went out the window, but everyone in his building died. And he was just, just a straggler, survived. Like like some people yeah. found buildings, homeless found buildings that didn't burn and they hid behind it. I, I don't know how they survived and, and nobody had reached out to them because I'm, I'm lucky. I, I think the power was out, but I was driving over electrical lines and doing some kind of crazy stuff. It, it's like my calling and my mission to go out there. And I had my nurses and team with all the medical supplies. So we're able to like triage like 20, 30 people there. And then we went to another shelter that was on yeah. the west side. And I, and I saw the main problem. The problem people don't realize it's not like I'm in the yard. I'm there to help burns like the burns people. They die or they survive. And if they survive, they have a very low li- like likelihood, especially on a rural island, survive because we don't have a burn center. Yeah, they have to well, be transferred. I mean, doctor, Hulu. just to to hear your stories and to hear you uh, being one of the first people there. I mean, it's just amazing. We know that you have a lot of important work that you are doing right now. We're grateful, Doctor Dinesh, that you joined us tonight. Thank you, but we're going to let you get back to that. Thank you for your time tonight, though. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. Okay. Thank you. And for those of you who are watching at home and and want to be able to help, you heard from Jeff there just a few moments ago talking about the outpouring of support. CNN's Impact Your World team has vetted organizations. They are aiding in these recovery efforts. And you can find out how you can help these wildfire victims in Hawaii at CNN.com slash impact. Or you can just text Hawaii to 707070 to donate. We will also stand by tonight for that news conference. We are going to get an update from the governor, from the mayor, from the officials there on these rescue efforts. We'll bring that to you live as soon as it begins. Also, Donald Trump is now ripping the special counsel over the date that Jack Smith requested for his election interference trial. It's quite soon. We'll tell you more next.
The special counsel, Jack Smith, said he wants to put Donald Trump on trial in the election interference case as soon as January 2nd, 2024, nearly three years after the Capitol attack, about two weeks before the Iowa caucuses. Prosecutors don't think it will take more than four to six weeks, they say, to present their evidence. Of course, then the Trump team would also get to go. This also means Trump could be in the courtroom and on the campaign trail at the same time. In the other Jack Smith case, the former president's co-defendants appeared in court today to face new charges in the Mar-a-Lago documents investigation. Trump body man and his initial co-defendant, Walt Nada, pleaded not guilty. But once again, the court is now facing a a delay as Carlos de Oliveira, the latest co-defendant who was added in that superseding indictment, showed up without a Florida-licensed attorney. His arraignment has now been postponed to next, next week. I should note, you don't see Trump in those videos alongside the attorneys and the two co-defendants. He also pleaded not guilty to the new charges against him, but he waived his appearance at today's hearing. Joining me now, Jennifer Rogers, CNN's legal analyst and former federal prosecutor, and David Kelly, former U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. Thank you both for being here. Jennifer, this is a really aggressive schedule. You know, the prosecutors are putting this forward. Uh, They say that they want not just this— to give Trump's lawyers the bulk of their discovery in the next two weeks. I mean, compared to a normal timeline, how how remarkable is that? It's really, really tight, Caitlin. I mean, we're thinking about cases when we were in the U.S. Attorney's Office. A run-of-the-mill case would probably take usually nine months. So um, it's not that it can't get done if they have dedicated prosecution team, a dedicated defense team doing just this, and the court makes space for it. It's feasible in theory, but I think it's pretty tight. I can't imagine they can do it that fast. Well, and Trump is obviously not happy about this. He's saying that he can't believe Jack Smith scheduled it for the day after New Year's Day, but he said he thinks it should happen, if at all, after the election. I mean, his team does get to suggest their their own timetable. I imagine they're not going to agree with this one. No, I, what I think is happening is that Jack Smith starts off, it's kind of like a bidding war. So he puts in his bid knowing he's not going to get it, but maybe there'll be kind of a march to, to the middle. Um, so that maybe if they don't start in January, maybe they can get to May. I, I agree with Jennifer. You know, it, it typically is about nine months before you get to trial. It can be done sooner. And I think that the discovery in this case is probably less complex than the discovery in the documents case. And the reason being is that the documents case has a lot of classified information, um, the substance of which I don't think is really relevant, but the fact that they have to sort through some of the classified information issues. So I think that can be longer. And I think the point here is this can be done faster. Um, so I don't think it's un- unreasonable for him to come and bid kind of so low. Um, but I think it's going it, it, to, at best, like, I don't think it's likely to go before the election. But I think it could reasonably and prudently, prudently be scheduled, you know, sometime in the spring, summer. And normally when we talk about a speedy trial, we're talking about a defendant's rights to a speedy trial. But what prosecutors noted today was making the argument about the public's interest in a speedy trial. And, and Molly Gaston, one of the prosecutors, said it's difficult to imagine a public interest stronger than this one in which the defendant is the former president charged with these three these three charges, but saying that obviously it's uh, a matter of public importance and it may, merits in favor of a prompt resolution given He's running for office. I mean, does that work with the judge? Well, what underlines all of this is the notion that if he wins election again, he will have this case dismissed. I mean, he will have a way to just get rid of this altogether by appointing— He said he would fire Jack Smith. 
Well, fire Jack Smith. His AG will dismiss the case. If it happens to be resolved by then, he'll pardon himself. I mean, there are a bunch of different ways it can happen, but that's not something you say to the judge because that's not really codified in the Speedy Trial Act, but that's really what we're talking about here. You have to get it done beforehand or else he'll be able to make it go away. What do you make of what happened, David, in southern Florida today where you see Walt Nada and Carlos de Oliveira walking out <clears throat> with their attorneys out of court, but Carlos's attorneys were essentially arguing for a delay until August 25th because he does not have Florida-based representation that is actually signed on to this yet. The judge said, no, we're going to do this on Tuesday. Yeah, the Southern District of Florida is pretty strict about outside lawyers coming in. Um, I've been there and have that issue before. Um, and I agree with the judge. It shouldn't take that long. And I think the, the, he's now testing the patience of the judge. Um, you need to get somebody. There's somebody in the Southern, that's licensed to practice in the Southern District of Florida has to be available to come in at least as a pro, to, to, to be local counsel for, you know, some attorney. So saying the 25th is too long is more than reasonable. He should get his act together and get a lawyer and move forward. Walt Nada did the same thing, though. He delayed in getting a Florida-based attorney. We were hear- hearing from sources that it was it was a delay tactic. Do you think this is also a delay tactic? I think it's all a delay tactic. I mean, we're talking about a matter of, you know, months before the election. Every week counts. I mean, the notion that they got a week out of fighting over a totally routine protective order in the January 6th case, this stuff with the lawyers and the documents case, I mean, it's just death by a thousand cuts. Every time they can push it back a little, little, next thing you know, you can't try it till after the election. And We will find out about that protective order tomorrow at 10 a.m. David Kelly, Jennifer Rogers, thank you both. Thank you. Meanwhile, Donald Trump, as he is in court and dealing with his legal troubles, he's also keeping everyone guessing about whether or not he'll be at the first Republican debate in just a few days from now. Four other candidates have signed the loyalty pledge required to take part. We'll tell you who. And we're also waiting for the news conference. It is going to start any moment in Maui. We'll see the mayor and the governor of Hawaii scheduled for 9.30 Eastern time, 3.30 local We'll be back in just a moment. Butter sculptures, fried dough, and a lot of Iowa voters. 2024 presidential candidates are either in or headed to Iowa for the state fair tonight. Donald Trump in that state holds 44% of the support among Iowa Republicans. That is more than double his closest rival, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, according to a new poll from the New York Times and Siena. Joining me tonight, Jamal Simmons, who is an aide to both President Biden and Vice President Harris and is now a CNN political commentator. And Doug High, former RNC communications director and Republican strategist once or one. Let me say congrats to you. And we're very glad to have you here with us. The handsome portion at CNN has gone up a lot. (laughs) Yes, exactly. You will. Our viewers will see you very often. Um, Doug, everyone is in everyone and their mother is in Iowa right now, including Vice President Mike Pence. Obviously, they're all there shaking hands, talking to people. But Mike Pence actually got asked on January 6th from one voter who had traveled there to see him. And he said he thought people deserved to know that Trump pressured him to overturn the election. People deserve to know that on that day, the former president asked me to choose him over my oath to the Constitution. I chose the Constitution, and I always will. Trump is denying that, saying he never asked him to to disregard the Constitution. I mean, we all saw what happened. But what do you make of the fact that this is something he's talking about, the Iowa State Fair in the middle of these 2024 primaries? Well, one, I would say you left short the number of fried foods that are available at the Iowa State Fair. It is a very, very long list. It's part of the reason that uh, candidates go there, Republicans or Democrats. I'm sorry, Doug, I got to interrupt you. We need to go to Maui. That is where officials are giving an update on the catastrophic wildfires. This is the governor. Bring our state back. What we saw was the utter devastation of Lahaina. We walked 
uh, from end to end today as a team. Uh, Mayor Bisson for the county, Senator Schatz, the federal level, and myself, plus all of our teams. And what we saw was likely the largest natural disaster in Hawaii state history. You'll recall in 1960, we had uh, one year into statehood, a tsunami that hit and took 61 lives uh, on the Big Island. We are seeing loss of life here. As you know, uh, the number has been rising and we will continue to see loss of life. But we have extraordinary professionals working on this job. We also have seen many hundreds of homes destroyed. And that's going to take a great deal of time to recover from. But that's why we come together. We come together to give comfort to people. And like I said, we will prevail. But we come together now to talk about the specifics of resources. Uh, this morning at 1210 uh, AM, my team and I submitted uh, the proposal to the federal government uh, for presidential disaster declaration. And exactly six hours later, we were honored to receive in the affirmative that the federal government will be supporting our full recovery, which means that there will be grants for individuals from FEMA. There will be support for rental uh, aid. There will be support for small businesses. And this is just a small piece of what's going to be necessary. But the financial aspects of the recovery will help blunt the loss of life because all of us will have a loved one here on Maui that we know of that lost a house, that lost a friend. We talked to many people today, not just at the shelter, which was something to behold, and we appreciate all the volunteers, like we appreciate the incredible work of the firefighters and police. But we talked to an old gentleman who hadn't seen anything like this uh, ever in his life, a wildfire that took a whole city. His neighbors have all lost their homes. His home was intact, but he was in tears. This is a gentleman that doesn't cry easily. We saw young men on bicycles riding through Lahaina. They also uh, had much loss to share. They lost their houses, and they don't know where to turn. So what we're telling you is we will rebuild. Today you're going to hear from not just me as governor, but you're going to see what Senator Schatz will be able to begin working on and proposing for our aid also, we have experts from FEMA, of course, our local leadership, our state senator, and mayor. But let me say this, a couple things. We are going to need to house thousands of people. It's our intent to initially seek 2,000 rooms so that we can get housing for people. That will mean reaching out to all of our hotels and those in the community. We'll ask people to rent those extra rooms or their ADUs or the Ohana that they have in their property. We will create a program so that that's available. It will be deeply subsidized, in my opinion, to make sure that for the many months that people need to find a home, they can have a home here. We will have to make the hotels whole as we do this. They are part of our economy and our community. We're also going to call to action for people across the state. If you have additional space in your home, if you have the capacity to take someone in from West Maui, please do. We'll find a way to connect you. Please consider bringing those people into your lives, especially if you have a space that you can otherwise rent. The state will find resources because the federal government will be in full support. President Biden spoke to me directly and said that they will be here with us all the way. We'll take questions at the end, but I know there are several experts here that are going to address you, and we understand you're hungry for information. Let me just say this up front. We respect that. 
we know how important it is that you do your jobs, but we're just about 48 hours in, and there's tragedy on the roadside. There's tragedy in the homes in Lahaina, and we're trying to be very careful to respect the dignity of people who have had such loss. So if we've been at any time more difficult to communicate, it's because we're trying to also respect what they've gone through. We'll get you a lot of information as we go forward. So I'll pause there and give it back to McConnell. Mahalo, Mayor. At this time, I'd like to welcome up Maui County, County Mayor Richard Bissett. Hello, my kako. In an event like this, I think we all understand, goes through several phases. Uh, we have been in the phase now of fighting fires and saving lives. Uh, I appreciate the patience the media has had with us, allowing us to go through that phase. Uh, soon we'll be in the recovery rebuilding phase, as the governor has spoken to. Uh, we know that's going to be a long process. I really want to speak to our citizens, our residents, our visitors, our businesses who have suffered tremendous loss and probably inconsolable grief. Um, I think for us, the message is we're going to try our very best to identify those that have perished uh, so that the families can have that closure and can have that understanding. We're also going to try and connect our families with those who are in our shelters. Um, as you understand, this was an emergency. People left without uh, taking anything with them. In most cases, they had no choice. Um, so now we're at that phase where we want to make sure those that are in our community, whether they're at a hotel or at a shelter or staying with a family or friend, uh, that we can try and, and match them back with their families. Uh, a lot of work being done by all the good people here to make that happen. Um, and again, uh, as the governor spoke to it, we will, we will rebuild, and that's really uh, what we have no choice but to do. Until you see the devastation uh, that we all witnessed, uh, maybe through photographs before this morning, but in person today, um, it's difficult to describe, uh, but there are lots of people that will need a lot of help, and, and our goal as government is to provide that help to people. Um, I did want to also speak to the folks who did not, whose homes were not damaged. And I know the question on your mind is, when can I get back to my home? Just as soon as we can try to provide uh, the certainty that we have recovered those that have perished. And that's really our, our goal right now. We're hoping to find people that um, might just be injured. Uh, a lot of time has passed since the incident, so we're still uh, in that phase. But please allow us to complete this process before we allow people back into the homes. There's no power, there's no water uh, back on, on the west side either. Uh, so those are both things we're trying to restore as well. Uh, we also want to make sure we can provide enough uh, shelter space, uh, space at our shelters for folks. We're, we're kind of at the limits in some of the central Maui ones and we'll have to be creative with our team uh, after this to try to get more uh, for folks out on the west side. So we're very cognizant of the main things that people want to know. Where's my family member? When can I move back uh, to my home? And, and what's the long-term plan? I mostly, however, want to thank all the, uh, the partners, the allies that we have in our federal government, our state government, our fellow county government uh, support, and of course, our public. Uh, your patience, uh, your vigilance, uh, we continue to ask for. Thank you. Hello, Mayor. I'd now like to bring up U.S. Representative Brian Schatz. Uh, Senator. 
Senator. It's fine, it's fine. It's fine. U.S. Senator Brian Schatz. No, I, I lost that race. Um, <laughs> um, aloha, everybody. Um, I just have a couple of things to say. First of all, we are unified um, from the federal uh, to the state to the county government and especially including the community. We were fortunate enough to be in the emergency operating center and I've been in a lot of EOCs um, and I have never seen uh, such an extraordinary group of individuals who are professionally and personally dedicated to disaster response and of course recovery. And so many people have so many personal relationships that they're kind of managing having to be a first responder but also worry about their own families. And so we all want to thank them. But Josh got a call from the president. I just got a call from the vice president. Leader Schumer called and assured me that he was going to do everything he could in terms of a disaster supplemental funding bill. And one of the best pieces of news, which was fortuitous this week, is that Bob Fenton from Region 9, who has been a longtime friend of Hawaii uh, through FEMA, through wildfire, other wildfires, through volcanic eruptions, through floods and tropical storms, is here and is one of the most knowledgeable people on disaster response and recovery that you could possibly get. And he's here physically with us, walked Front Street, has done all of it, and is going to stay for the duration, even as um, the FEMA administrator, I think, arrives uh, tomorrow evening. So we are united. Uh, we are not underestimating the task in front of us in the next couple of days and couple of weeks, but also a couple of years. This is going to be a long period of recovery, but we will rebuild. Mahalo, Senator Brian Schatz. At this time, I'd like to bring up Major General Ken Hara. Uh, good afternoon and aloha. I'd, li I'd like to start off again by offering my condolences and prayers to everyone from Maui to include the, the visitors. It was just extremely um, saddening to see all the destruction there. But, you know, I was fortunate to be able to see it firsthand and now realize the amount of support that we're going to require from the federal, state, county, and, and the private. And, and, and I was talking to Governor Green and said this has got to be an all-of-nation approach. Um, because of what I saw, we'll be activating uh, what we call the Joint Task Force 5-0. So that's a dual status commander. I'll be appointing Brigadier General Stephen Logan, who's currently my Deputy Adjutant General. He will be the dual status commander, so he'll have the authority to command both uh, active duty and National Guard forces. Um, I've been in close contact with Admiral Aquilino, who's the commander of U.S. Indo-Pacific Command, and General um, Charles Flynn, who is the commander of the U.S. Army Pacific, and they have said they will provide the state whatever military resources we need uh, for response and recovery. Uh, I, I did ask and we did formally request several re, re, um, capabilities and resources from FEMA and from, from the federal government. I'll, I'll allow Administrator uh, Fenton to, to go into the details of what he, he's uh, approved, but it's going to take a long time, as the mayor and both the governor alluded to, there's so much destruction, it's going to take time to, to rebuild, and we're going to need that all-of-nation approach that I talked about. Thank you. Mahalo. At this time, we'd like to bring up Robert Fenton, Region 9, FEMA Administrator. Appreciate it. Uh, and uh, 
first, uh, you know, our condolences and prayers with those that have lost friends and loved ones uh, during this event. Uh, we want to be with you, uh, not only uh, now, but through the recovery in the years to come. Uh, also, a uh, message of safety. Make sure you continue to heed the warnings of local officials. Don't wait. Uh, listen to them and uh, heed their warnings. Uh, as uh, all the speakers before me talked about is uh, unity of effort. Uh, I just like to say one team, one fight. Uh, but this is really going to take a whole community effort. So it's not government at the federal, state, local level. It's business, private sector, nonprofits, the citizens of Maui all come together to work together to help recover. Uh, the devastation uh, that I saw today is significant. I've been on many fires in my career. I've been in FEMA for 26 years, been to the biggest fires in the country, and uh, the downtown area is significantly damaged uh, and a lot of lost structures down there. Um, some of the programs that we will bring um, and that are important here is the ability to provide direct federal assistance. What does that mean? That means I have the authority under the president to task other federal agencies to provide support to Maui and the state of Hawaii. And some of those missions, I'm sure, are going to be in the debris removal area, household hazardous waste that usually US EPA does for us. The Corps of Engineers usually removes debris for us. Uh, and many other missions to include potentially generator missions, mass care, commodities, uh, and uh, also bringing in some search and rescue teams that help with cadaver dogs to look for human, human moraines. And they're on the way in right now, uh, both from California and Washington. And uh, we'll integrate them and support the great fire department you have here. Um, our individual assistance program is the key program for individuals. For those that are survivors who either lost loved ones or uh, you can't get back to your house or uh, you think you've been impacted by this storm, uh, go ahead and uh, phone the 1-800-320-6632 FEMA number. Again, that is 1-800-320-6632. All right, right now, officials in Maui are providing an update after catastrophic wildfires there that have killed 53 people. We heard from the governor, Josh Green, there at the beginning, saying that they are going to continue to see loss of life, saying this is the largest natural disaster in Hawaii's state history. He said there is going to be a need to house thousands of people who were there pushed out of their homes or had to evacuate. We sadly learned earlier that the death toll in Maui has climbed to 53. Right now, though, rescuers are still searching for many others who are missing. We heard one estimate earlier from someone from the Hawaii Department of Defense who said he believes a thousand people are still missing tonight. We will keep monitoring this press conference. We'll bring you new updates as they come in. And for more information about how you can help those who are those Hawaii wildfire victims, go to CNN.com impact, or you can text Hawaii to 707070 to donate. We'll be right back in just a moment. Back with our panel now as we are turning to the presidential candidates who are in Iowa. It's that time of year again for the state fair. And now something that is coming up while they're all there, the loyalty pledge that so far only four GOP hopefuls have signed ahead of that first debate. Back with me, Jamal Simmons and Doug High. Thank you both. Doug, let me start with you because Trump has said last night that he is not going to sign this pledge to support the eventual nominee. I mean, obviously, it's a requirement to participate in the first debate, but this is what he said about it. And I wouldn't sign the pledge. Why would I sign a pledge? There are people on there that I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have certain people as, you know, somebody that I'd endorse. 
What happens if he doesn't sign the pledge? Are they going to let him on the debate stage, you think? If Donald Trump wants to be on the debate stage, he's going to be on the debate stage. The reality, though, is he doesn't want to be, and politically it's smart for him not to be. Ultimately, if he's on that stage, he's going to allow every opponent to get all of the oxygen that he brings into a room and invite himself for a lot of criticism from his own party that he doesn't want to have. So he may do a separate event, but he's not going to be at the debate. His advisors are telling him, don't do this. And I think anybody rationally who works in politics when they're working for an incumbent who has a big lead, which is sort of where Trump is right now, that's what you advise. But Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, who is someone, you know, no stranger to tension with, with yeah. Donald Trump, tweeted today in response to that, every Republican running for president would be better than Joe Biden. Uh, he's a Republican governor. Not surprising that he would say that. But he said any candidate who does not commit to supporting the eventual nominee is putting themselves ahead of the future of our country and says this is basically political games. So, first of all, Donald Trump has been putting himself ahead <laughs> of the future of our country since what, 2016. Is that when he showed up? Um, and I, I just find it very hard to believe that Donald Trump will let an event occur again with so many lights, so many cameras, so many remote uh, uh, field reports from every network, and he will not be present or be a part of it. I think that we are looking at, um, I'm not sure how he gets there, I'm not sure what kind of maneuvering he does, and it certainly won't be because uh, it's the smart thing to do or the rational political thing to do, because Donald Trump is a little bit more casino owner Barker than he is rational political actor. Well, and there's been a tactic by the other Republicans to yeah. try to goad him into coming. I mean, the, mm -hmm. does that work? Does that appeal work to him? I, I don't think so, because he could be the riverboat casino. He could be on the other side of the river and hold an, his own event. He'll get as much attention as he wants to. He is the show, and he knows that he's the show. He doesn't need to bring his spotlight to those other people and, and, and let them steal from his limelight. So he's going to do something, potentially. It doesn't need to be what everybody else to do, it wants to do. And that's how he's always operated. if we need the word potentially in there. I think he, he definitely will counter-program. <laughs> he doesn't show up. But you used to work for Vice President Harris. I sure. wonder what you made of what Nikki Haley did today when she signed this pledge. She posted this picture, and she crossed out. You know, they're calling it the Beat Biden pledge. They crossed out uh, Biden, and she wrote, it's the Beat President Harris pledge. I mean, you worked for Vice President, what do you think she'd make of that? Yeah, I think this is, first of all, a really complicated argument the Republicans are trying to make because it's asking voters to do two things. One of them is maybe even imagine Joe Biden being president, right? And so Joe Biden might be president, but then you might get Kamala Harris. Um, so it's just too complicated. Voters usually don't do strategic voting. They vote for who they want at the top or the bottom. If I were a Republican candidate, I would say either I want Joe Biden to be president or I don't want Joe Biden to be president. I wouldn't worry about the vice president. And it seems a little bit like Nikki Haley is auditioning for vice president. And if she wants to be vice president, she should just say so. Doug, hi. Jamal Simmons, welcome to the CNN family. Glad <laughs> to have you, you both tonight. <laughs> Thank you. All right. If you look at Senator Tommy Tuberville's website, you will see this description. Quote, Tuberville lives in Auburn, Alabama with his wife, Suzanne. But tonight, the Washington Post has us asking if he actually lives in Florida. The Post fact checker, Glenn Kessler, reports that last month, Tuberville sold the last of the properties that he owns in the state of Alabama. The senator has not responded to our request for comment, but his office did tell the Post that his primary residence is in Auburn. But Kessler found that records show that house is actually owned by Tuberville's wife and his son. Instead, the Post says that campaign finance and property documents show the home that actually bears his name is a beach house in Florida in the panhandle worth millions of dollars and where he's lived for nearly two decades. I mean, he even said this in 2017. 
Six months ago, after 40 years of coaching football, I hung up my whistle and moved to Santa Rosa Beach, Florida with the white sands and the blue water. What a great place to live. Let's be clear, no one is saying that Senator Tuberville broke any laws, and he has spent plenty of time in Alabama, specifically in Auburn, where he coached the Auburn Tigers and the football team from 1999 to 2008. But it is also the first time, not the first time, that he has faced accusations of being a carpetbagger. In 2017, he decided not to run for governor of the state when questions about his residency were raised. To add to that, the Birmingham News reported that Tuberville voted in the midterm elections not in Alabama, but in Florida in 2018. To run for governor in my home state of Alabama, you must be a resident there for seven years. But to run for Senate, you only have to be a resident for at least one day. I think you see where I'm going with this. In 2019, the Post reports that Tuberville registered to vote in Alabama. That was nine days before he launched his Senate campaign. Now, I should note, as the Washington Post does tonight, that during his campaign, Tuberville did not shy away from these allegations that he didn't really live in the state. Yes, I'm not an everyday uh, uh, resident of Alabama. That's going to be brought up. Not an everyday resident of Alabama. I should note that did not seem to negatively affect his campaign. He was, in the end, elected in a landslide. Thank you so much for joining us for what was a very busy hour tonight. CNN Primetime with Laura Coates starts right now. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.